Well, hello and welcome to episode 68 of the 1099 for the week of November 21st, 2016. I am your host, as always, Josiah Renauden, and with me today is writer and critic Tevis Thompson. Tevis, how are you doing today? I'm pretty good. How are you doing? I'm doing very well. Uh, this is one of those podcasts that I knew had to happen at some point. Uh, I've had <laughs> Carolyn Pettit on, I think, twice at this point, and she uh-huh. had introduced me to uh, your writing. And again, once I saw it, I was like, okay, I talk a lot about criticism on this podcast. I've had Nick Cabazzoli on two or three times just uh-huh, to kind of uh-huh. either complain or uh, encourage good <laughs> writers or just get on here and uh-huh. bitch for a bit and stuff like that. Uh, uh-huh. So this had to happen in my mind. And you have your own podcast okay. and a book uh-huh. on the way. But I've always known you as a critic who I very often disagree with in terms of what you say about games, but respect uh-huh. and relate to how you look at them, how you write about them, and sort of the importance you put on uh, criticism itself, the way we talk about video games, instead of just looking at a game and being like, the gameplay is great, the story is great, it looks great, (laughs) 9 out of 10, let's move on with our lives. Uh, You talk about games differently. So to kick things off, just to kind of get, you know, an idea of where this started, what first got you into games criticism? Well, I... uh... Yeah, I played games since I was young and um, read the journalism growing up. I mean, I read EGM every week in the 90s, I mean, every month in the 90s, and uh, uh, didn't really think about it much, just it was a kind of a part of my life. Um, and then I, after I was in graduate school in my 20s, I, I moved to China and was kind of seeing everything from a distance um, and still checking in on websites and just finding the conversation kind of... I don't know. It didn't really match. It hadn't for a long time, but uh, it didn't match my experiences. It didn't match the conversations I was having. Um, so when I got back from China in uh, 2000, late 2010, um, I decided to take my writing, fiction and nonfiction, in a few different ways. And so I started a, a website and um, just started writing about some games that were interesting to me in a way that I didn't see out there. Um, and yeah, it was really, there was no like kind of catalyst or anything that got me into it. It was more yeah. of a, about a time of, um, I guess, just trying to write online in a different way. And games writing was a part of that. Um, so, um, yeah, I wrote for about a year on my site, just doing little pieces um, before. I mean, nobody, nobody read them at all. <laughs> um, <laughs> And, uh, and then after about a year, I wrote a piece that people did read about Zelda. And from there, I, you know, you get a little positive feedback and it pushes you further. Um, yeah. And I was learning how to reach an audience a little bit more because my early pieces were a little, um, I don't know, more in my head and, and kind of betrayed my academic background a little bit in ways that weren't always um, the best for the writing. So yeah. um, I kind of went from there and trying to uh engage i got on twitter too i mean that having a, oh, a bit a of a social that's community, where you messed up <laughs> that was the mistake but it did connect me to people who were um different than i had you know seen in major game sites and um different conversations going on that i didn't always like but at least they were um i was starting to have them um yeah. and so yeah that kind of that kind of eased me in um, you mentioned before kind of keeping up with some game sites and seeing things that maybe didn't exactly jive with the way you thought about games or talked about games or, you know, when you played games, how you felt about them. Uh, I think it's important to establish very often, and I'm very guilty of this too, 
we talk about criticism, we're like, that's bad criticism, but we don't explain why. Or that's good <laughs> criticism, but we don't articulate why, you know, what's good versus what's bad. So in your mind, what elements do you most often see in good games criticism? And what make up what makes up bad games criticism? How do you kind of differentiate that in your mind? Yeah, um, well, I do have a lot of thoughts about this guy. I've written about <laughs> it a few times. So if you read my stuff, then you, it comes up and I, um, I'm, uh, you know, uh, a bit antagonistic to a lot of, not just like games reviews and the kind of easy targets, you know, at big sites, but what passes for games criticism, the serious stuff that yeah. has been going on more, you know, um, I guess openly and forwardly the past um, the past number of years. Um, well, I think there's a few things that are missing from a lot of game criticism, um, and I don't think that. I mean, I hear sometimes people, even a few years ago, people were, "Oh, this is a golden age for games criticism and all that," and I was just like baffled by that comment. Mm-hmm. I would see it in numerous n- numerous versions of it, but I was just like, I don't know what world you're living in. This is. Um, games criticism to me is nowhere near, not even a golden age, but like being um, good enough. And uh, I guess that, I guess one of my basic feelings is that there isn't much games criticism. And that's not because that people aren't writing or that a place like Critical Distance isn't like, you know, um, collecting, curating um, pieces that are put out. But my sense of games criticism is not just... uh, academic criticism which i think is what is what a lot of people are starting to mean when they talk about games criticism at least mm. in the among the you know the critics uh self-professed critics um it's an academic f- form of it that's really kind of just cultural criticism and it's valuable i mean it's it wears its academic kind of heritage on its sleeve too much and the writing often leaves something to be desired but um but a more basic idea of games criticism is like you know evaluating um game what makes it good what makes it even bad um really putting that out there in in judging i i find that most games criticism is so loath to judge yeah and i'm not sure why all the time i mean i i sometimes think that well i'm not sure why i i i, well, I, I mean if i was going to speculate i i think a lot of it is uh a lot of us and you mentioned you know, grew up with games i grew up with games people identify as gamers which i think is a problem when it comes to criticism to a certain extent because a lot of your identity is tied to the medium i mean i i've said this before but like when you are a fan of movies you very rarely call yourself like oh i'm a movie goer like you don't identify in that way you don't have (laughs) the same Uh level of attachment with a marvel movie maybe because you grew up with comics but i think when you grow up as a final fantasy fan and a gamer and you review a jrpg or a final fantasy game you have a personal attachment to it and thus maybe struggle to appraise it critically to openly kind of show like this is what's wrong with this this is why this is bad right and i think that identity i think well you know like a few years ago when gamergate but you know really kind of hit hardest there was this seeming divide between gamers as you know and the 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 bad word that became and and critics or journalists and stuff like that but i see no difference i see everyone like not just because everybody plays games but i mean that the worst things you can say about quote-unquote gamers you can say them about journalists and critics Mm -hmm. (laughs) like i don't think that game critics are immune to anything that they criticize in 
gamers. They have different tastes often, um, but they are just as much fans, like in their heart, um, yeah. and gamers as the, you know, the quote unquote gamers. So I, I find that distinction like doesn't even exist. Um, and that really critics, when you read the work over time, and I have, uh, a lot of critics are fundamentally apologists for games. Mm. They are not, <laughs> they're, they're comforters. They are trying to, at base, tell you things are okay. They validate often what you already think. Um, they're not deeply challenging to their own beliefs or towards, you know, the presumed audience. And so this constant apologetics, um, I think just it, it doesn't create good criticism at all. Um, and, and so, you know, uh, critics who are fans, who are gamers, um, they have many of the same values deep down, mm -hmm. um, even if their politics are different, you know, even if they're a progressive gamer versus a more conservative gamer. Yeah. Um, and, and I think that base, it makes it really hard to, to deeply criticize something. So if you're a big fan of Final Fantasy, as I was for many years, um, then that attachment and that identity, it doesn't go examined. Like they're, they're not, they're not getting, frankly, it's just, there's often a very shallow engagement. They're not going deep enough into their own attachment or being able to, you don't have to, I mean, see it. I certainly never see it objectively. I always argue against objectivity, but there has to be something that is, you know, pushing yourself and your own subjectivity to confront itself as a player, to mm -hmm. um, think more, um, not just deeply, but self-reflectively to, I don't know, really look at what is, what about Final Fantasy four or seven or whatever it is that got you um, really, really speaking to you and why it keeps you from, you know, treating modern sequels as anything but a fan is constantly referencing that legacy. Why do, you know, game critics are not good critics of sequels. They just yeah. kind of accept them as the, you know, every game is almost a sequel. So like, there is no pushback to that. And I, you could say that like, oh, they get a lot of pressure writers from, from readers and from whatever institution they're affiliated with. And that's true, but a lot of it comes from within. I'm meaning like, you know, I don't believe there's a lot of corruption as most people style it, you know? I, yeah, um, I, I don't think that, there is at all. Not old, not old time kind of, you know, corruption, <laughs> yeah, changing hands of things like that. An, an eight or a nine. But there is something, corruption's not the right word, but there is something, there is a lack of independence and there is a lack of in yourself, there is something that has been compromised in your love of games that makes you um, loathe to really go go at it or or to disagree with others like when you say that you often disagree with my work that that delights me frankly yeah, because and that, and that, i don't i mean that in the most positive way yeah like, yeah i mean i take it that way i i if someone follows me on twitter or my writing expecting because they read something of mine i always see this happen where they read something of mine and they agree and they're always like oh man finally someone said it and i you know and that's great and then, like, you know, a month later, I say something they really disagree with, and it's, like, disappointed. And I'm like, what What did you expect? Like, <laughs> um, like I, how, you follow me because you're 
agree with me, you're going to be very disappointed on a regular basis. Oh, yeah. Um, I <laughs> I, I, a few years ago, wrote a bunch of short reviews. Part of my purpose was that so it was impossible to agree with me. You cannot possibly agree with me on 50 different games. Um, so, yeah, I, I, I love that, but I find that that people are very nervous about disagreement online and, and in person. There's just this, this real discomfort with, with disagreement. And that if a critic is uncomfortable with disagreement, then they are no good critic. <laughs> yeah. Is, um, is there a danger though of um, maybe seeing all the positivity out there and maybe this kind of hesitance to disagree that as a critic, you almost might go too much in the other direction where you try to look mostly at the negative side of a game and criticize it in that way instead of seeing the whole picture. And I, I don't mean this in a negative way toward you at all, but like, let's say I look oh, through so um, your, uh, those 50 short game reviews and you had like mm-hmm. Half-Life 2, I think you gave it like a four or something like that. Um, and then yeah. Yeah. Uh, one that stuck out to me would be like, okay, so you it was Mario Kart, I think, seven, Mario Kart 8. Um, right. And what you wrote about it is, I get it, it's beautiful, it's fun, it's Mario Kart, why is that enough? And gave it a 5, which most people use the entire scale, but most people would see a 5 as a bad score. And for me, <laughs> I see something like Mario Kart 8, which I think is a well-made Mario Kart game, and like you said, it's a sequel, which is always a very bizarre thing in terms of criticism, but it does something that people enjoy extremely well, it looks good, it adds new features, and it modernizes Mario Kart in a way that uh, it works for the majority of the audience. Do you think there's value in a game looking at something that's been done before, not innovating, but taking that and doing it extremely well to satisfy that audience? Do you think that's something that we should criticize heavily because it's not taking chances? Or can we give it a certain pass because what it does is difficult to do. It's doing it well and it's doing it better than before. Well, I think everybody does give it a pass. So I think I, you know, I'm the outlier here. Um, and it, a five, like you said, because I use the whole scale, um, is just, you know, perfectly fine, just okay, you know, fun enough. Um, I didn't, you know, I recognize what it does well. Um, I've played Mario Kart since the Super Nintendo one. So I've, I've played most of them. Um, and I, I guess I, so, I mean, to answer your question, I think people, like you said, they do give it a pass. They do all those things you're saying. <laughs> yeah. So I don't think that's abnormal. I think that's the complete norm. Mm-hmm. Um, that is the way we judge it. We look at this sense of like, is it modernized? Is it updated? Is it fine-tuned? Is it, you know, you know, vaguely improved in some way? Those things mean very little to me. Um because I find that looking at them in this constant like franchise mentality or sequel mentality, um, you're just setting it up for all the values that a sequel brings, which is, you know, minor improvements. It's like incremental politics, right? It's just this yeah. sort of, um, yeah, nice fun. And I just, it doesn't speak to me very much. So um, I guess, I wish more people would just kind of either newcomers to it, you know, people who haven't played Mario Kart come for the first time. I I totally get why they would be like, wow, this is really fun. I'd always heard about Mario Kart and it's really great. And I'd be like, no problem with that. Like, of course it's people who've been around like me since the beginning um, who uh, to me, their standards seem so low uh, for what they expect. I mean, they've been playing games. They kind of know what you're getting. And so I don't think people want to, be constantly disappointed. And if you have high expectations in games, I think you're going to be constantly disappointed. Yeah. Um, 
So, yeah, I mean, I, I see value in that, but I, not a lot. And I also don't see it, think it should be the norm. Like I, I'm often, you know, uh, get grief for like being such an outlier, but yeah, contrary. I'm like, exactly. I mean, that's always thrown at me, but I, one, <laughs> I guess I don't so get that. It's not an insult to me to call me a contrarian. Um, if my opinion falls outside of the consensus, then so be it. Mm-hmm. I don't go into games looking to, um, looking to, you know, ooh, I'm going to really kill that one. I mean, granted, I, I, I sometimes when I go in, I don't go in blind. I know, I very rarely play a game blind, you know, knowing nothing about it's almost it. And so I have to consider. Right, right. So, like, last year when I played The Witcher, you know, it was getting great reviews. I'd never played a previous Witcher. And I was like, you know, it came on my radar. I had, like, a Gamefly subscription at the time and was like, okay, I'm going to try this. I don't think I'm going to like it. It sounds like it has everything that I, you know, criticize uh, in games. And so, you know, to say that I went in, like, with totally neutral just not be true. I don't think we go into hardly any game, you know, totally neutral. However, I always try to stay open while playing to, well, what's this actually like and uh, whatever I thought before. And, you know, Witcher, The Witcher was something that totally shocked me, both the quality of the writing and the storytelling and the world and all of that came together. And like, as I was playing it, I was like, oh, my God, I love this. I can't yeah. believe it. So, you know, I can be shocked by, you know, you know, games that don't uh, that don't meet, you know, don't don't fit what I tend to think that I, you know, generally like so much. Um, but then, you know, I can play games like this year, games I didn't necessarily expect to like, and they were just as bad, if not worse than I thought. Um, yeah. you know, I think Uncharted 4. Is I terrible. knew that was going to come up. <laughs> that, that was one I wanted I, I, to talk I, I, to you about. Okay. Uh, yeah. And I, I, I'm not coming. So, uh, I would, and I, I hate using fan, but I would, I would classify myself as an Uncharted fan. I, I played the hell out of two, both single player and online and three. Uh, and I very much enjoyed four, but also came away with it. I think I actually quoted one of your tweets about it because it, it was for me, uh, and I'm trying to remember how you phrased it. There's this certain dissonance between kind of the the crazy blockbuster nature of some of the scenes and how the action set up, and then there's almost this generation behind action and combat that's very mm-hmm. loosely tied to it. And uh, in the end, the game still works for me in a lot of ways. And uh, I was talking with someone on Twitter just a couple of days ago about Uncharted 4 because there are it ends up with like a 93 Metacritic, which it's kind of insane. That's yeah. very, very high for what that game is. But there's Especially also, these days. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. But there's also this thing I think sometimes we take for granted is we just say like, oh, it's just a blockbuster movie as a game that should not be really rewarded. But there's also such a difficulty to making a 12 to 15 hour interesting blockbuster as a game because a blockbuster movie is very different than a game the length of the runtime how you have to keep the player engaged and again i think we do look at something like oh it's just a blockbuster and we discount how difficult it can be to make something like that but i also do understand entirely your point i could see why someone would go to uncharted and not usually not like those games very much or come into it like you would maybe thinking that this is going to be a blockbuster game. I don't know if it's going to resonate with me and it doesn't. I totally respect, understand how you would come away like that. Yeah. I guess I, my question would be, why do you care that it's hard to make? So, okay. And that's not, it's not, when I say hard to make, I don't mean the process of developing it, I guess. Uh, I much more mean that like making something that is 
triple a blockbuster summer popcorn fun for 12 to 15 hours is like to keep someone engaged like because i was interested i wanted to keep playing it the entire time doing that over that entire runtime call of duty is like a four to six hour experience and it works in that way to drag not drag that out but to expand that to two to three times the size and in my mind still be successful in keeping my attention that is difficult to do and for me it's not like oh they crunched a lot or the actual mm-hmm. process of developing it was difficult but for me that's something where i'm like i respect that that can actually happen i think that's a difficult thing to do um but i if we're going in the direction of i don't think you should take into account you know the challenges within a development team in your criticism but i guess just mm-hmm. the idea of the game can pull this off is impressive to me Okay. Well, that that's just something that I, you know, doesn't on in either way, either the the hardness of of the, for the team making it, or even the you know the achievement of pulling something like that off. I guess it doesn't. It do, you know, as a player, it just doesn't matter to me very mm. much. Um, I recognize you know what it's trying to do. Although I I feel like I saw a few critics on Twitter because there wasn't much of a backlash to Uncharted, unlike you know some games that get you know really high. Yeah, reviews. it kind of it kind of went under the radar. Um, yeah, and and one critic I saw was just kind of like, okay, so are we basically like beyond like, and he was saying this in a proving way, like we just we recognize it's a fun popcorn movie and I mean game, yeah. and we don't um we don't you don't really criticize it, and I find that attitude, and he he's a a critic, a a known critic among games critics, and I was just his attitude I found so I put me off because I was just like you know this. Th- you, like most critics, who just accept what games are. And I think that, that when it, some of my difference in other critics is coming down to a basic acceptance of what is. Yeah. <laughs> um, I don't accept what is. Um, and so I don't, you know, this idea that it, you know, that it's a familiar um, blockbuster type doing blockbuster things, I still want to think about what those blockbusting, you know, things are and how I feel about them. And I did not go in gunning for Uncharted 4. I've only played Uncharted 2. Mm. I liked it fine. Like I I liked it okay. It was yeah. it was fun. It's a good video game. Um yeah, yeah. I, I um but when I played this, I uh yes, there's that that dissonance between like, you know, what uh what you expect in twenty sixteen, I suppose, although mm. it's not so outrageous i mean it's no. it's it may be a little behind others but that's not the issue it's it's more the way that it all comes together and i find that like uh it's really hard for me to understand on a basic level how players can do the same things over and over year after year and smile about it i don't on a fundamental level get that either with it uncharted with i recently played rise of the tomb raider which i thought was terrible because <laughs> it's just you know the most you know sequel of sequels when it comes to you know it cleaned up some of the nasty snuff film like leering yeah, at laura where suddenly you're like from the first one and yet around. it did you know the first one actually had comparatively <laughs> more of a story and an arc and 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 it did not i mean it was just the same gameplay again and i just i, I i'm serious like on a fundamental level i really question how people can like shoot guys with a shotgun year after year and 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 think that's anything like yeah. think it's anything and i think that sometimes when i'm playing a game there's i think of that old um david letterman like sketch he would do sometimes 
where he would, it was called, is it anything? And so the curtain would raise and there might be like a woman, like with the, like hula hoop, you know, juggling chainsaws or something, you know, something, something. And then the, you know, he would look to Paul and be like, so Paul, is that anything? And then they would decide yes or no. And that was it. So it was this like ridiculous, is this anything that I'm experiencing and I'm playing Tomb Raider? I'm like, this isn't anything. This is the most, you know, uh, typical uh, regurgitated like sequel blockbuster also. And I felt that way about Uncharted. I think the thing that pushed Uncharted over the edge to me and made it worse than Rise of the Tomb Raider or other sequels um, was that it has this veneer of respectability. Yeah. It has this veneer of maturity. And I find that particularly repulsive when a game, you know, if it just was wearing its blockbusterness on its sleeve and just, you know, was honest about that, I would probably not have nearly as big a problem with it. But the fact that it tries to be serious and mature and on top of all that, it it's so false to me. Um and you see, you see this, frankly, in all sorts of like uh, games that try to like, you know, I applaud their ambition, <laughs> yeah. but their ambition doesn't go nearly far enough. It's a surface level ambition. It's a narrative ambition that's not, you know, pushed through all the way into the game. Um, and you even see this, I think that, you know, you, you uh, critics that are, you know, somehow giving an air of legitimacy to games are particularly beloved, like, you know, a critic like Tom Bissell, for instance, mm. he, um, I'm not, I don't like his criticism, um, because I think that he, you know, he was essentially like an intelligent outsider, right? He came off that way when yeah. you, when you would read his stuff. And he comes from like a respected world of like literary, you know, the book world. But he has like the taste of a teenage boy. <laughs> and so, you you have the one of the most respected critics who writes good sentences. He's a good writer. He's smart. Um, uh, but he basically wrote adult sentences, you know, about adolescent sentiments, mm-hmm. and that thrills us. That thrills game people because it validates. I mean, he's ultimately an apologist who you know makes you feel better about your your tastes, about your um your addictions about you know all the stuff all the the darkness in games he he validates it and makes you feel like a grown up and i find that repulsive yeah. <laughs> so um so you know and, and you know he's you know one of the most you know if you want to talk about games criticism he doesn't really do that anymore but he writes for games more now i think he had a a small hand in uncharted and it doesn't surprise me at all cuz uncharted has that sort of you know that you know it's it's smartly written it's you know it it has some nuance to its emotion and its thinking and stuff like that but it's it's not serious it's not a serious game you know Uh um and there are very few that that are so i i have a really hard time with games that you know uh pretend to be something that they're that they're just clearly not yeah, um, I, I can absolutely understand that. And again, Uncharted is a case where there's so many weird things going on there. And I, I, dissonance is just a word that always sticks around with me. And you always talk about the fact that you know Nathan Drake's killing 8,000 people and you're trying to still make this character that's likable in a way. There's just a lot going on there. When you look that's at... Old, right, that's old, right? Yeah. We've been saying that for totally. years. And I, I think that the, you know, sometimes you create a term like ludonarrative dissonance and or you just other kinds of dissonance and it just it just becomes it part of the accepted vocabulary, but you don't push it anymore. You don't kind of like, 
it's just like, oh yeah, that. Um, but I don't know. There's not much of an exploration. I, I didn't see, and there was some talk about like the, you know, the set piece in Madagascar when they're driving down through the city and destroying it while escaping like a tank or whatever. Yeah. Um, and you know, the, the continued idea of adventure as white guys running rampant in a, you know, non-Western city, um, and having their fun is, you know, shot through in the game. And it's, it's, it's what games like Far Cry are based on. It is, you know, yeah. it is all over games. And um, it's really hard to, again, it's acting all mature. And yet it has some of the most, you know, basic Western blindness to it that is, um, I don't know. It's just, it's a little hard for me to stomach. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I think what's so fascinating, and let's pull back on that scene from Uncharted again, where you're, you're, go, you're chase, being chased by like this tank. Uh, right. And you end up at one point on this like grappling hook flying through the air and like bursting <laughs> through this wall. And then you're jumping from like motorcycle to like vehicle. And then your brother's there suddenly like, what the fuck is going on? So I, I think what's fascinating about something like that is uh, what you get out of it versus what another critic gets out of it versus what another critic gets out of it. Because with games, because uh, like for you, you're thinking about, like you said, like two white dudes just kind of storming through this area that's foreign to them. And for you, that's something that sticks out. And in your mind, does that ruin that scene? Because here's like, if so another critic, let's say if I'm playing that game and if I, that might not key into my head, what I'm seeing at that point is something that's visually almost unlike anything else, just in terms of like raw horsepower. That's a really interesting scene. The actual turn off your brain action, which is I think the best way I could put it, where you're just jumping and enjoying that sequence. It's fun. It's big. It's bombastic. It's stupid. Uh, and it is, I just worked a 12 hour shift. I want to get home, crack open a beer, play this and not think about anything. There's like two very separate ways to look at that. And a lot of room in between for you, when you're looking at a game, uh, does something like that really stick out? Can that like ruin the rest of that experience for you? Because that's how you look at that game instead of the actual technical splendor of that. Well, I, yeah, I don't recognize technical splendor, but yeah. um, I, I ruin, it, you know, the game has many other problems for me. So if like the rest of the game, I'd really, you know, liked or thought did something. Um, and that scene had just suddenly cropped up in the middle of it. Um, I'm not someone, I mean, when I'm evaluating something, and this goes back to maybe what I think this kind of judgment that's missing, I definitely take a very holistic approach. That doesn't mean averaging out, like, you know, all the different parts of it and in, in just finding something. <laughs> and then adding you know, a reviewer's tilt at the end. Yeah, there's none of that. Right, right, right. Um, but it does mean that something can potentially ruin something. I mean, I'm, I'm open to the idea that a game I like can have something ruinous in it. I'm also open to the idea that a game I dislike can have something amazing in it that, you know, kind of salvages something out of it. So it just depends on the game. I think in this case... I never, I never turn off my brain, so uh, I can't. Uh, yeah. So that's not really, I, it's not really operative for me. But I, it's interesting you bring up this end of a day, coming home, having a beer, wanting to just kind of, you know, Disconnect, enjoy the yeah. spectacle of it, right? Um, because I think that that is one of the things that's like both totally understandable, and in fact, I think a lot of critics. You know, you can tell that they're in their, you know, 20s or 30s and that this working lifestyle, you know, you know, when you first get out of like a college, if you've been used to like a school life and you get into the working world, it's quite a shock. 
<laughs> because you can, you know, have been going to class and doing, you know, homework and feeling tired all the time. But it's a different kind of tired than working an eight-hour shift yeah. or a 12-hour shift or anything. Working, especially as you get older, it is, you know, so exhausting in a different way. So I feel like sometimes that kind of attitude, I just just a few days ago, the there was some game Shadow Warrior or something that came out. And people were tweeting about how the easy setting um, said... Um, Instead of just, you know, making fun of you or anything like that, the easy to put it on the easy setting, it gave you a message that said, um, this is for people who have nothing to prove. Um, OK, that sounds good. Yeah. And then it said, um, this is, you know, if you've you know just had an exhausting day and want to come home and feel like a superhero. Mm-hmm. Now, on a individual basis, that's like pretty understandable. Um, when someone comes to me and says, if, you know, talking one-on-one and they're like, uh, oh, I, you know, this game really, you know, was a really great relief to me during this time in my life, or this is really good just to kind of, you know, hang out with and all this. I- I'm very sympathetic to that. Like, you know, I think, I think life is very hard. <laughs> I think that people are tired and hurting and you, you take what comfort you can. So I, um, I'm sympathetic to that individually. But altogether, when that becomes kind of, I mean, I think that that attitude you're describing, um, the after work one, the end of the day, and this shadow warrior easy mode thing is more and more like the norm. Mm-hmm. And I would just describe it as basically that there is a complete acceptance among gamers, among journalists, and among critics that games are escapism. Yeah. And it's, to me, completely, un, you know, Unexamined. The, the most you get sometimes is, you know, criticizing some per, per, some person's version of escapism. So, you know, your escapism I don't like, but my escapism. And you see that, you know, in games like, you know, so Abzu came out this year, right? That mm-hmm. underwater thing. I can't stand that game either. That um, underwater thing is should be the subtitle of that. That is, or like a back of the box quote. Like Abzu, you <laughs> that know, underwater that underwater thing. thing. <laughs> but it's, you know, it's a game that I saw people, oh, this is like the great stress reliever in my life and, and stuff like that. And I'm like, man, like, it can't all be that. And this, it, you, it, it can't all constantly talk as if it's some revelation that yeah. games are escapism too. Like, because that is completely the norm. It is completely, you know, what uh, what everyone kind of does and thinks and so critics often validate it by like you know bringing this escapism and you know sympathizing but also just kind of not asking anything more and i think that when escapism is the norm for you know people have been saying this for years you know the critics of games i mean critics outside of gaming you know who are wanting to you know really criticize games for being immature or childish or whatever they would call it a form of escapism or a form of power fantasy um, and instead of of taking some of those criticisms to heart and saying and really asking games for more than that or a more complicated version of that, I feel like critics have completely acquiesced and just you know they're like, yeah, that's what they are, and let's have some good ones, and maybe let's have some more progressive ones rather than some more like conservative military fantasies, and like that just com- to me is like missing the point. That's like having a fight over whose fantasy, whose escapism, you know, like whose refuge gets to win out. And that is a boring conversation. Um, and that is something that doesn't ever ask any hard questions about escapism itself and about what games can do. And frankly, about like how we play 
I mean, if you treat ba- video games like a Band-Aid, I don't understand you know, what kind of criticism is possible of a Band-Aid. Yeah, okay, and this you know? is something that I think is important because – and this is something I think we probably both agree on to a certain extent where you mentioned before like, oh, we can't all be that way and this has become the norm when it comes to looking at games as escapism. And I think the same can be said about it can't all be that way and it can't be the norm with reviews. And I guess what I mean by that is I think there's value in – so many different styles and takes of criticism and reviews. So I think that I love what you do because it looks at games in a different way, makes me think about games a different way, and it tackles issues that other people aren't tackling. And the problem now is that there aren't a lot of people doing what you're doing or even doing it differently than what the standard stock review is. I think when you take Metacritic for Uncharted 4 and you see that of the like 80 reviews, the lowest score is like a 7, that's when I think we have an issue because – I think if Definitely. I reviewed that game, I would fall into the eight range, and I that's probably where I am with my head. But where are the people on Metacritic like you who are maybe not disgusted, but turned off by certain aspects of that game, and that's they have this lower opinion of it? Like, there's no, there is a range to criticism, but it's so heavily skewed toward the top end and toward acceptance, yeah. toward this yeah. is the way we've always reviewed games, toward. And again, I find value to a certain extent in taking a game like, let's say, I'm a big football sports guy. Okay, let, let's say you take <laughs> NBA 2K17. You <laughs> look at that just iterative and you say like, okay, this is better than last year. It's making improvements. Nine out of ten. Okay, I'm fine with that review because that's serving an audience. That's serving a certain type of person who buys a game every year. But then you need the other, the other end of the spectrum. You need the person who challenges just the iterative nature of it, the year after year small improvements. And I think we're so heavy on the scale toward the person mm-hmm, who mm-hmm. glazes over and reviews a game as, like you said, and accepts how we've always talked about games, how games are, mm-hmm, that we mm-hmm. need more on the other side. Even if, when I review a game, I'm closer to the middle, even lean more toward accepted nature. I f- not Fight's not the right word, but I kind of you know encourage more of that other side, more of people like you, sure, more of people sure. like Nick Capazzoli, who when they review Dead Rising 3, I think it was, were frustrated by like the sexism in the game and that was enough to give it a three in the way that it's structured mm-hmm. he disliked and i think we're missing that mm-hmm. i mean i absolutely agree and i'm it's it's i really like it when people who don't necessarily even agree or you know as harsh as i can be sometimes are still see value in that because i i, I think ultimately you have to be just honest about what you're thinking and so you can't you can't fake it you can't like you know uh even if you're feeling kind of kindly disposed towards a game, just kind of trash it for no reason or, you know, or, you know, obviously give something high that you don't feel. Um, though I think people do that more often. Yeah. That's um, more than the so I, yeah. Yeah. But I think that you have to, you have to be honest. So, I mean, there's a few problems. One, you're right that there's, that there's just, there's, there's so much of the acceptance reviews um, and so little of the challenging ones that, you know, it's just, there's no comparison. Um, you also have to, you know, I think the acceptance people have to look inside themselves a little bit um, and question, you know, why they're accepting and how long, you know, how long can that go on? Mm-hmm. You know, <laughs> how yeah. long can you, how long can you give, you know, uh, well-made sequels eights, you know, like uh, how long is that going to work for you? Because um, I don't, I don't see I don't see it working, and I don't see um, it doesn't go, push go ahead, the conversation sorry. forward. It, it certainly it keeps not. the certainly status not. quo. Which again, like if I play a game like Uncharted Four and don't have 
these feelings that, you know, if, if I sure. don't notice things you notice, like I got to be honest with my criticism and give it what I think it is and say I enjoyed sure. how you to tackle things. Mm-hmm. But then I do think it's important to take a step back and try to think like, okay, how could I look at games differently? Like, and, you know, not, not in an inauthentic way that I want to be the person who gives these games lower scores so that I can be like, like you know, like we talked about, a contrarian. If I don't feel a certain way, I don't feel a certain way. But I do think it's important sure. to sure. challenge, and again, reading reviews you disagree with helps, challenge the way you look at things, challenge the way yeah. that you address these kind of things. And, and also like not, not just letting your first reaction be your only reaction. 100%. Because like, you know, like you said, it, you know, you can only react as you are when you're first playing it. But I think that a lot of critics, and this is not, you know, all their fault. This is certainly the the nature of 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 journalism and the, you know, how how little time people have to review games and stuff. Um, it takes time to think through and think beyond even your initial reaction. It takes patience. You have to kind of slow down and really. Um, Give yourself, I mean, I'm a slow writer. Mm-hmm. I am a so slow player. Um, you will find very little of mine that is, you know, kind of keeping to any deadline. And that is, you know, uh, say it's a luxury, perhaps. it's. It, I think it's really necessary. And I think that um, games sites and critics who can find ways to get themselves more time or write something, you know, some of the pieces I've written that have been the most, you know, kind of read and responded to were they were not written in the heat of the moment, yeah. right? They were not written, you know, I didn't write about Bioshock or or Skyward Sword when they were happening because I needed to process it. It took a it takes a long time, um, and uh, and it also when you when you have more time, um, it gives you, well, it. it it allows you to sometimes, I think, like make some bigger claims. And I would say one of the things that's missing in most game critics these days is simply a lack of ambition. Um, there's a timidity, you know, yeah. there is this, this modesty, this sort of milk toast humility, always hedging. They don't want to make claims. And in fact, I think while games have always suffered from this um, in the past few years, I can hardly think of, I, I read games writing all the time, and I can think of very few pieces that stuck out where someone, you know, really thought about something, really put something out there that could be wrong, that people would disagree with, you know, and I write strongly worded things completely ex- expecting people to disagree because of course they would, like, we're all different and we have different, yeah. you know, um, ways of seeing things. But this this lack of um, ambition, treating things like, it's just another brick in the wall of culture. This it, it, that is, that mentality to me um, is, you know, very boring for reading. Um, but also, you know, it, it just it creates this kind of fearfulness about st- stepping out or uh, you know, say you know, getting too above your station and 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 saying anything too strongly because um, not just because you're going to get grief for it, um, but because uh, you're going to. You think you're gonna hurt someone else's feelings? I mean, writing is is a is a tough world. It's not you know like you you, you can you do things in writing you wouldn't do in person, and uh-huh. that's because writing and speaking aren't the same thing. Um, distance is really important in writing. Um, if you're gonna write really well, you have to really take care to to um, you know, really figure out what you think. Whereas in the moment when you're talking to someone and you're, you know, you're listening to them and, you know, I'm, you know, you and I can disagree about any number of games, but 
I'm not really interested in the moment in like, you know, convincing you to agree with me or anything. I'm, I'm interested in, you know, the difference and, uh, but in writing, it's not the same. And I think that there's a lot of blurring in kind of online culture of writing and talking in a way that doesn't do writing. It does a disservice to writing. Um, what I also think is important is you talk about kind of there's this safeness to a certain extent in games criticism these days or just game reviews in general uh, where people don't challenge things. And I think a lot of that is, again, we're accepting the norm. And I think a lot of that is these time constraints. The the deadlines sure, impact sure, yeah. your ability yeah. to make a statement. And that's not me trying to cop out and say like, well, I can't make a big statement because I had this embargo to hit. But uh, <laughs> talk about challenging your first opinion. Um, when you get a game and that is 60 hours, you have you know five days to play it, two days to write the review. Uh, it can be hard uh, to go beyond that first impression almost because you don't have time to. Uh, absolutely. And right. uh, you talk about you know how you don't follow a deadline. I think some of the best games writing is comes out weeks or even months after a release. I think Kotaku uh, often does well with this when covering yeah, a game do. later. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I think uh, Grantland did a great job. I know you wrote there for it. Uh, <laughs> and I, uh, Jason Concepcion, who I've had on this podcast and I very much appreciate as a writer, would do these interesting, you know, here's my experience at this well after where he got time to kind of sift through everything and really think about it. And uh, I'll admit a lot of my reviews at GameSpot, there was this deadline that uh, you are not worried about being profound. You're worried about making sure you're hitting sure, a certain timeline. Sure, and that sure, does sure. make you adjust how you spend your time critically it makes you more sure. worried about does the online functionality work versus what is this certain scene saying and how does sure. it impact sure. the rest of the overall message and the delivery and i think that sure. is a games writing problem and i Absolutely. do think to a certain mm-hmm. extent we are and just in certain corners fixing it by taking the time to talk about games after they're released and it i think we've proven mm-hmm. yeah. that people will read that and i think that was the concern that people won't read they will it, think about how the, it, there's the hype cycle right before previews everything like that game comes out reviews fun everything and then we forget that game ever happened uh and i love yeah. uh talking about games well after and examining them in a more interesting way i mean there's that spec ops the line book that came out uh mm-hmm. long after the game released and like, i mean mm-hmm. i I currently work for the dude who was a creative director on that game and like talking to him about it and learning these things is so fascinating to me because I like talking about games mm-hmm. later and their impact. But yeah, mm-hmm. again, it's just the way that we have these restraints makes it very difficult to go beyond your first impression. Absolutely. And I think I, you know, I, I think that I can, I'm really more not sympathetic, but I'm, I'm pretty understanding of a lot of the, the constraints that, um, reviewers and people at sites really work under and i think you know unless it's really like ridiculous like i thought the reviews to like bioshock infinite were um often reviewers are not my primary targets when they do something really they really drop the ball like you know the the reviews of metal gear um ground zeros were ridiculous to me because they you 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 know you can't you can't not see the sexual violence in that and yet yeah. reviewers don't talk about it. So that I think is just an, you know, a total failure. But in general, I don't find myself as critical, or at least I don't talk about it as much being critical only of reviewers, like, you know, traditional reviewers. Um, I 
because I understand those those problems, what I find myself more critical of are the critics outside that who don't have the time um, constraints and yet still produce lackluster criticism. Mm-hmm. Because then, you know, they have other things. You know, there's, you know, the, the freelance world, uh, the game critical world and, you know, the more academic sphere. Like, you know, they there are plenty of pressures there as well. But when they um, also kind of, you know, uh, don't, they think about it, but they, they actually, you know, reproduce some of the same um, uh, acceptance and some of the same, you know, refusal to just say what they think, you know, their, their, their judgment, um, which, you know, readers love. Readers go to reviews on sites, not just because they want a buying guide, but because people are just naturally interested in what other people think. And yeah. they're really interested in basic questions of, is this game good? What is a good game? What is a bad game? People are really, really interested in that. And it's just like a natural question that most critics kind of, you know, uh, you know, want to push aside. But I, I tend to push back really pretty hard on those game critics who are not just a part of the, um, the game journalism scene, and yet their own reviews betray the same sort of like, well, it's another Call of Duty. I'm, I can only evaluate it based on other Call of Duties. I can't question what, what's up with shooting in games and why is that even interesting? Yeah. <laughs> because, you know, that's like asking something, question about the genre or something like that. And I, you know, I push back against it enough that I, I get a lot of, you know, I get some of my fiercest, like bad responses from people, not from typical gamers, not from um, not from even the press sometimes, though I, I'm sure I've made many people mad and don't have many friends there. But, um, <laughs> but a, a lot of young, like 20-something academic men don't like me. Um, and, or maybe they're in their 30s now. Yeah. Um, and they, they're right not to like me. They, they, I, I, they shouldn't like me because they sense that I don't respect their work and they're right. You know, like there is this, this, these academic kind of mindsets. And if you've been like the, the academic world is, is one that is so full of, you know, you get a bunch of people who were in their respective worlds, the smartest people in the room and you put them all in the same room. And there's this, this, this nasty, like, you know, constant under like underhanded proving of yourself and resentments and jealousies and all this kind of nasty stuff. So uh, that world, when it intersects with gaming and the fandom uh, and the acceptance of everything, it just creates these really, uh, these really boring, like I said, lacking in ambition and lacking in judgment um, that uh, people sense with the, if you read my stuff enough that I'm, I'm, pushing back against them and they don't like it. And, and I, I totally get that. Like they, yeah. they, they shouldn't, you know, there are critics out there who, uh, if you're looking on Metacritic um, and, you know, you were the occasional person down at the bottom, who's, you know, uh, one of the best examples is, is Tom Chick. You know, I think he does a quarter to three and he gets oh, a lot yeah. of grief because he's often the low reviewer um, in games. I mean, sometimes he gives really high uh, scores too, but he uses the whole scale. And of course that, is you know the, the the primary problem for for many people, and he's one of the best uh, reviewers out there. He is he is you know very smart, but not in an academic way. He is um, his writing is really funny and punchy. It's very relatable, and he's just totally candid and honest and insightful about games. And he also has this kind of confidence that is not. Oh, I mean, he has like 
you know, he is, uh, you know, there's nothing um, presumptuous mm-hmm. or like- uh, highfalutin about him at all. But it's just the confidence that comes with age. I mean, he's older than most critics. Um, and that that can make a difference. But there are, there are plenty of critics, I think, who, despite me finding a lot of, you know, problems in game criticism, critics were very different from each other. Tom is not, I mean, I agree with him sometimes. Sometimes I totally don't. You know, he loves GTA V. <laughs> I yeah. certainly do not. Um, there are critics like Jed Presgrove, you know, and he is... Um, he is a very ornery critic. He is, you know, combative and kind of, uh, he, he, he draws in these really, you know, unexpected, but interesting comparisons with games you would never, you would never connect, but he's always interesting. And he's always pushing back against the kind of, you know, franchise and fandom, you know, world that games exist in. Um, and you know, those there, you know, again, I don't agree with him, all the time either. But when I'm looking for critics, I'm really looking for someone, you know, with a perspective not like my own, um, who surprises me and who's someone who, you know, their writing, I can really feel their person or their voice. Um, Jess Joho at, at Kill Screen, I think she, when you read her prose, you can just feel this mind alive on the page in the sentences, you know, this intelligence, this, this fierceness that, um, creates really powerful, um work and 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 on the other hand there's there's you know carolyn pettit who you know you've had on here her work she you know on her personal blog she brings kind of a a very earnest sincere um vulnerable uh voice to you know her whole perspective on games that you know she just kind of bears her soul at times in ways that are you know um so personal they could be uncomfortable but i love that yeah it's so difficult I, you know, there, for anyone there, to write like that to put yourself it is i mean I, I admire it i i have a hard time doing that so i you know these critics are nothing like each other yeah. um there is so much room for you know great um criticism and yet you know the it, <laughs> overall they're the exceptions um and there is still uh so little you know what I consider really good games criticism and then the whole environment is, you know, there are new sites coming, you know, with Glixel and Waypoint and, um, and even, you know, Kotaku has, I think, changed a lot of its coverage to, like you said, um, move beyond the release cycle. Mm-hmm. And, and those have really succeeded. And I think that, you know, that, uh, Kotaku and, and, and Waypoint play people that are kind of looking at the broader culture of games. That's good. But it's not enough because there is still the kind of uh, that it's not criticism. <laughs> Meaning, yeah, like really, the, I mean, when you say it's not enough, do you mean it's not enough? Kotaku has to try harder, or do you mean it's not enough? We need more, you know, like this, and we need more people taking chances in this area. Because, like, I for me, I don't. Is it more about individually Kotaku needs to try harder, or there needs to be more things like Kotaku? Well, both. I mean, I, I think that, you know, new sites, I'm always glad to see new sites um, open up and, exci- and you know, looking forward to what they're going to do differently. Um, I remember, you know, th- four years ago or whatever, when Polygon first showed up and they um, were, you know, they, they claimed they wanted to change games journalism and a lot of people like mocked them for that. But I was like, okay, good, good for you because it does suck a lot. So, you know, <laughs> you, you do what you can um, and that, that ambition I applaud. However, they they pulled back on that real quick. Their their reviews are you know nothing. <laughs> they are not 
um, offering their their review scale is it you know it codifies the entire you know seven to ten thing we think about and you look at their their scores they're no different than everybody else's they you know and I actually you know as you maybe can tell since my criticism of Uncharted I don't like games that like act or or things that act a certain way but are really doing something else and Polygon acts fancy. You know, it has it from the moment it appeared, it looked different than other websites. It was fancy graphic design. It was, you know, it was this veneer of maturity. But you read the the reviews and they're just like all the rest, you know, and then that, you know, they are they they didn't change any. They lost their ambition very quickly. They had good feature writing at first. That was different. And then, you know, I know that's hard to sustain, but it didn't mean they couldn't, you know, their criticism. So, yeah, yes, I do want more sites. Um and I want different people at some of those sites. You know, there's been a lot of good hiring. However, um, it doesn't mean that the, those sites, they need to continue the, the, the work of self-examination and, and criticism that is going to produce. And I think they do. I mean, it's not like these sites aren't constantly kind of evaluating things, but I, I think the results sometimes are this continued sort of, um, not, going too far out there not you know they remember their audience yeah. they think I, I don't even think they're right about their audience sometimes i think there's a lot of ideas about what gamers want and what readers want um that are out of step with actually the majority of players and the majority of readers um and some of that is about constantly giving readers you know those assurances um and giving them a sense that you know you know it's okay. It's all, it's all good. Yeah. <laughs> um, that's kind of the ultimate sentiment of most game, you know, sites and, and their stuff. But um, the reviewers, you know, the, the writers themselves have to, to push it. And, you know, you have, I, mean, I like a lot of individual writers at websites. Don't get me wrong. Even if I find the sites disappointing or shallow, but I, I think that there are a lot of good writers and a lot of smart people. Um, and I just think that some of it requires a, I don't know, pushing themselves a little further and, and their relationship to games. Um, and, um, not, not, it's not about maturing as much as just like, I don't know, allowing in the complex feelings that games create in us. They are not all positive. They are not all fun. They are sometimes, you know, my, the game I hate the most this year is Dark Souls 3. And it is a game that makes me immensely sad. And I, I talked about this with Patrick Klepek in a podcast and a game that, you know, whatever technical proficiencies and, and everything, it is the game that it is, you know, one of those marvelous, like singular once a game generation games that is turned into every other game. And that is sad to me. And yeah. I don't see that reflected. I don't see reflected in the Fallout 4. Like Fallout 4 was not very good to me. Um, and I think that in time, it is a lot of people are kind of slowly opening up about that. Um, but the games, you know, there's just such a wide variety of, of experiences and feelings in games that are not reflected, not only in reviews, but in games writing. And it's that positivity that it just drowns out. It makes people like me seem like, you know, oh, contrarian, oh, you know, radical opinions. I don't think my opinions are radical. They're just mine. Yeah. It's only when you put them up against the everyone else that it just, like, what's he talking about? But they're not. They're just, they're just not, you know. Uh, so my opinions about, like, you know, Zelda or Super Metroid are not radical. <laughs> yeah. I mean, they're, just, they're just not. They're just... Yeah. And I do hope, <laughs> you, you mentioned Glixel, you mentioned Waypoint. I do hope that we do see more interesting voices out there. I, I'm hopeful for where things are going. 
uh, because I, I agree we're not in a golden age of criticism, but what we are at least steering toward is the ability for people to talk about games differently, even if it's still by far the minority, by far. But I do think comparatively to where when we, you know, when reviewers tilt was a thing, we are at a better place, but we still have such a long way to go. Uh, and I agree that there are a medley of smart people who I hope get featured prominently moving forward, who are, you know, ready and willing to take chances on sure. how we talk about games. What what do you think is, is holding some of that back? That's not better than, you know, better than before, but not good enough. What do you think given, you know, how, smart and talented and passionate certainly many games writers are what do you think is not just i don't know what do you what do you think is is keeping it from being you know a, a really a, a really like bracing vital games criticism or or something more than what it is i mean it's a hard question uh i, I think right now when you look at the major sites it's uh, I think it's so easy to stay on the same course and to not break the mold if whatever's working is working. And sometimes you get so... In the same way when you're on a deadline to get something done, you sometimes mm-hmm. struggle to change mm-hmm. like an opinion. When you're a behemoth the size of IGN or GameSpot, it's hard to change course on that ship because you're just moving, moving, moving. And instead of challenging that norm, you continue to follow it. You continue to follow that rubric that's always been laid out there. And I think something like Waypoint could challenge that because Austin Walker is a smart dude who does challenge Mm -hmm. how we talk about games. And I, I think his Battlefield Hardline was a great example of not just looking at, hey, it's a fun shooter and it's a Battlefield game. It's talking about you know, police brutality and police violence and how we talk about certain things like that. And it's, I think when you have someone like that as the editor in chief, maybe that's where change can happen. You're starting in that direction from the start instead of completely turning around a massive entity. Uh, and I do think at this point, we're starting to prove with Kotaku that people are willing and excited to read about different types of coverage. And I think we have to continue chipping away at how the norm is because right now we you get a lot of backlash from talking about games differently from the audience because they're used to that kind of blind positivity i think if we continue to change the way we talk about games and how it's accepted it'll continue to steer in that direction so i think it's just hard to shift everything at once like so many things in life it's hard to just snap your fingers and suddenly how we do things is different so i think it just takes time to do that it takes the right people it takes us maturing it takes people getting into games who aren't blind fans of series and things like that and i think after a while you might be able to change that as long as people are still making money and viable doing that so i think there's a lot to it but that's kind of how i see that current state do you really do you find that the the new stuff some of the new directions in the past few years of Kotaku or or the stuff that's already, I mean, Waypoint's just started, but they've been doing, um, you know, the vice gaming difference the past three or four months. Do you really see work there that is ambitious and uh, challenging and um, that is really, and I don't mean, cha- there's ways to be challenging that I think the games have succeeded at the past few years. I think that questioning a lot of the... Um, sexism and and racism in games is that is at, in the forefront now in ways that it you know was needed for so long mm. um and so that that those kind of social and cultural criticisms seem to me um to be doing well 
um, and, and doing better and, and um, feeling more vital. But games themselves, the experience of them, the, the sequel mentality, the acceptance, the, the basics of like a, a criticism that is not just cultural. Um, do you see that happening in those places or not anywhere? Because... Not yet. No, and I, I, okay. I honestly don't. Uh, and again, I think it does come down to it feels like we're taking baby steps at this. It does feel like we're slowly going in a direction. I have not seen anything where I can point to and say like, this is extremely bold. This is going somewhere and it's on this major site. And this is now kind of the direction they're heading. I, I think maybe I have faith in the smart people and just maybe I am assuming rightly or wrongly that because we've taken some shifts, because we're changing even slightly that eventually it'll head in that direction where we have more people and I hate Metacritic in general, but like we have more people at the lower end of the scale who are challenging things. And it's, it's not this giant weight toward positivity and toward acceptance of everything. Uh, so right now I'm optimistic because of the people in charge and because of the small steps we've taken, but I'm not positive. We're going to reach that point. I, I, I do fear that we'll get back into the normal routine and maybe you know we'll we'll be happy with the small steps and not keep pushing not keep pushing boundaries and try to be different so no but still i think there's at least more than ever before i feel like there's at least an opportunity for it sure it it, there every time a new site starts every time you know someone new gets a voice that you know hasn't been heard as much before that that feels like an opportunity it feels exciting to me um and yet I'm, from what I've seen so far, I'm doubtful of some of those changes, both because I think relying on people, like it, this idea that if we just get the right people in, then it's all going to, you know, be different or eventually be different. Um, I'm skeptical of because I think that even, like I, I, I've known a lot of smart people, a lot of good writers, a lot of um, a lot of just, you know, people with big ideas about things that in in the circumstance of running a site or of writing to a, a wide audience or, you know, that there are pressures that are without a really directed, bold, like kind of vision that's pushing back. And even sometimes with it, it is, it is really, really hard to not only you can do it at first, maybe, but to sustain it, to keep people. Um, I, I just don't know that, you know, the, getting I mean, i'm skeptical of the idea of right people but getting certainly smart and talented people um i just i guess i get sometimes sad when i see i've seen a number of you know freelancers who wrote these really bold exciting pieces for you know a few years ago um and you know i mean freelancers are in an impossible kind of dilemma of trying to like kind of they're really trying to get like a full-time job <laughs> Um, yeah. so, you know, there, there's all sorts of pressures towards, you know, writing in a way that they think will get them that job. But beyond that, I, I, you know, when I first started, um, writing like, you know, four or five years ago, I saw a number of writers who were really, you know, they weren't established. They wrote some really exciting new things, some, um, ambitious things, um, and some things that, you know, really questioned things more deeply and challenged our, our notions about games. And then they actually got game writing jobs and it didn't, you know, it's good for them for like, you know, paying the bills and for, you know, uh, pursuing that, but it, they didn't come out of that producing their best writing anymore. Um, yeah. they didn't, uh, they didn't 
they didn't write um, things that felt nearly as you know um, challenging, but also they just kind of they seem to have adapted to the you know the the, na- the needs of the the brand or corporation they were under or of the readers, um, and not even like badly like they didn't betray themselves or anything like that. It's just they lost their focus and edge a little bit. They got better at like writing a lot, <laughs> you know, on a regular basis because you know a lot of sites just require you to write a lot, um, and, and that, that you know does... that's a particular. Kind that's of, a skill, but and that, that gets rid of that edge to a certain extent. That does dull it, and I, I I do think that is part of it. Like where your your move from being a freelancer, where sometimes you're on deadlines, sometimes people give you more kind of uh, leniency there. When you are, I'm guessing, going full time, you yes, you conform to the style, but you also the 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 girth, the bulk of things you're working on might kind of not force you, but push you in the direction of conforming to that you know less yeah and i think it's very you know yeah you you don't have to have someone over you saying no no you can't do this it becomes internal you know it becomes uh, you know a kind of self-censorship you don't even think certain things you don't go down certain paths because mentally because you they don't go anywhere for you and even when you're not on deadline and you have the opportunity to write something bigger you know at the end you kind of pull your punch or you kind of, you know, you know, conclusions are hard to write. And very few people write good conclusions because you have to, you know, be willing to push it all the way. And I find that, you know, to see a really smart, like talented writer um, become just like another game journalist is something that like, you know, even though they keep, they keep some parts of themselves, but I don't know. It just that's why this idea of getting the right people in or or whatever, like I'm just skeptical of because I haven't seen it. I've seen a lot of good people go into games writing. And some of them are still doing, you know, strong work, but in general their their best writing is not being produced. And 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 frankly as a writer, and this is something that I think that game criticism just doesn't drops the ball on continually is just the focus on writing. Part of this is the online environment we live in and the the constant posting, but there is so little care taken for the writing itself. Yeah. Um, and for, you know, it, you're, you're basically just reproducing uh, more online pieces, which is its, its own kind of weird genre uh, of writing that, you know, if all you ever read are Twitter links and online pieces and it's very easy when you live online to like get into that um then you're going to produce that like it's your writing is going to reflect a lot of what you read (laughs) um and so this kind of i I don't know i just i care about the writing and i care about like the development of a writer and i want you know you want an environment that produces the best writing and that you have these pieces that really stand that you can read them years later and they're still kind of like wow well it's kind of like um, i think in my mind where uh games writing is you know highly populated by gamers who wanted to get paid in this industry so they chose writing instead of writers who have an interest in gaming and want to write about it sure. intelligently and i think that's where that comes down to sure. where someone's not as much of a writer they're more of a gamer and like well i could review these things and i do agree there's also everyone's reading the online posts and that's kind of what you copy and and quickly going back to just you know uh waypoint the hope with the good people being hired again is that this is from the ground up the people who are hired uh who are in a leadership role are the good people instead of leadership being a certain way and then good people coming in there so there is again i I think you're absolutely right i think there's already stuff out there that is not although it's well written and it's interesting it's not challenging in the way you hope but uh 
hopefully well, I, they, they continue. I, I hear you on that. I, I, I'm I'm hopeful about because I'm hopeful about. I mean, I, I when I sit down to play a game, I'm hopeful that it's good. You know, I'm always I'm fairly optimistic actually, but I will say that I think that when you talk about the leadership, um, I would say that what I've been talking about, the kind of game criticism I'm talking about, that is about basic questions of game what you know what is good or not what i like or not what you know having a ju- you know judgment about it and putting it out there in you know uncompromised language and things like that i don't think that most of the leadership at the new or old sites agrees with me mm-hmm. so i don't th- you know i i'm just you know I don't think that it's one thing it's it's easy to kind of be like oh that's good or that's you know that's that sounds good um but I actually think that some um of the smartest uh people in in gaming don't agree with me so yeah. I I guess I don't want to I don't want to presume too much that they you know will will with the right uh you know people in charge that anything I'm talking about is going to happen because I think that the leadership also believes that on that are also deeply fundamentally fans and apologists and comforters mm-hmm. and are and believe in games as escapism um fundamentally yeah um so I, I, you know i i'm just i'm not trying to you know naysay and some of this you know they, there's some new things happening we'll we'll see but i'd also don't want to pretend that um there is some agreement about any of this when there is not you know, oh, yeah. I think that I just my 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 feeling about a critic's task um, that I would say I I don't know I, I'm not sure I put it this way before, but for me a critic's task is fundamentally revelation, mm. and by that I mean that a critic's task is to reveal something about the game, something about the player, something about the world, you know, outside the game. And maybe it's something hidden or obvious, but something that is more like, you know, profound. And I think that um, if a, if a critic is really going to reveal something, um, all the things we've talked about, it takes time. It takes, you know, some attention to writing, some ambition. Um, But it's also going to be something that when you read it, if it is, going for something as highfalutin as revelation, then um, it should, it's going to be uncomfortable and not just uncomfortable, like in that cool, that's different, but I mean, uncomfortable. I mean, like, you know, estranging, you know, defamiliarizing games are so familiar to all of us that when they're described in a way that is, you know, you know, not like we're used to, or is, you know, uh, then it can be exciting, but it can also be profoundly like disorienting. Um, And I think to really, explore and interrogate games and argue for them and, and kind of give form to your experience in words. Um, yeah, I, I think I, I'm really looking for something that is, is going, you know, going that long, going that um, high. And I don't, think many agree with that yeah <laughs> so, i think unfortunately um, uh currently like what you like in criticism is just a very in very short supply where like you you mentioned the few other people you read and i i think that that's a bummer uh and i do think that like <laughs> yeah like, that, 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 like that's maybe the, the less optimist in me is like i think that level of criticism and what you're thinking of and like, i agree I, I love to read that kind of stuff to get that in major 
outlets is difficult and i think it'll continue to be no doubt extremely rare uh and uh i I think we should have another conversation in six months to a year after waypoint's been around to see where we're at with it were there you know were there critics there who are allowed and encouraged to challenge that in the way you're looking for uh and is that successful i hope how how is that responded to um because right now i do think that there, there's a corner of critics who are challenging norms and but I, I think that corner as we talked about it's just so small so yeah the hope is do i think that waypoint and glixel will have that level of criticism like in spades i i don't and that's kind of disappointing but who knows like it's one of those things again we'll have to kind of see sure. where it's at in six months not in spades year. i mean that maybe you know i don't want to just you know dem- yeah. i'm not demanding like something impossible <laughs> you but you know once table, a month wouldn't be bad. About. <laughs> um, you know that that's you know that would be uh amazing and I, I i like you i know that kind of what i'm looking for i mean it's not like it's just gaming if you look in other you know it's not like film criticism or, you know, uh, even criticisms of books, you know, like I, you know, it's not like some of this stuff we're talking about is specific to games for sure. But the, the critical community, you know, it has its own sacred cows. I remember a few years ago reading a review in the New York Times book review of, of uh, Haruki Murakami's book, 1Q84. I don't know if you're familiar with that book, but it's um, kind of like one of his big tomes. Mm-hmm. You know, he, it was... Uh, hotly anticipated over here in translation. And um, and when I read it, you know, I, I liked a lot of his past work, but I hated it. And it was shocking to me because I've loved most all of his stuff, but it was, it was, um, it was repetitive. It was, um, it was misogynistic. Mm-hmm. It was, I mean, repulsively so. And it was uh, weirdly just, um, weirdly sentimental to like a in this really like icky degree and so the review in the new york times was a a, she was she you could tell by reading it she didn't like it you could tell that like she had problems with it like she knew some of the things i'm talking about um and yet she had to pull her punches we're talking about haruki murakami here you know he's going to yeah. be a nobel prize winner any day now and there was just this you know when she didn't when she thought things were bad she would just say maybe i don't understand and there was just this constant hedging that i was just like cringing at every line because she knew what was up with this book but she couldn't say it and it's not like there's a lot of like tough reviews even in the new york times book review it's all pretty positive it's all part of an enthusiast press right even mm-hmm. you know only movie reviews for some reason are you know, do you really get people saying this really sucks? <laughs> you know, and nobody, <laughs> nobody blinks at that. Um, we we expect it, but in most other arts, there is this constant hedging and this constant just celebratory mode. So, you know, I do hope that there is something more serious and profound going on in some of these new sites or some of the old ones. You know, there are great there are great writers at all of them, but um, you know, the to really abandon the celebratory mindset. And not, you know, not to turn into like a naysayer or a pessimistic, but just, you know, to see games in their in their wide, diverse, you know, complex, um, you know, existences is um, uh, is is going to be really really challenging, no matter how hopeful I am. And in the meantime, like, you know, I'm not just what you know. I think one of the reasons I get kind of you know some flack from a lot of independent you know, more academic critics is because they're not in those websites. They're doing their own thing. 
And they don't have the same, you know, uh, pressures on them from readers or corporate or whatever. Um, so, you know, free, the freelance world, right, the, the blogging world, sh mm. it should be a hotbed for this sort of writing. It should be, you know, you, you don't have as many rules. You might not get paid for it, that you, but that's a certain kind of freedom. Um, and you can write, you know, the most bracing, you know, crazy, intense, well-thought thing you can. Um, but there's not much of that either. And I, and yeah. I try to read, you know, widely there. So, you know, I hear you that, you know, there is a lot of industry aspects of this, but there's just as many personal ones. And I think if, if game criticism is to do something more then game critics and the, you know, are going to have to confront the gamer in themselves and they are going to have to really, you know, you know, look hard and long at, you know, all the reasons we, why we play game, how we play them and, and be ready for some, you know, to be honest and see some things that are not that pleasant. There are parts yeah. of games that are just not all, yay, yay, this is great. There are parts, they bring out all sorts of things in us, and they are, um, some of them are very difficult to look at straight. I think games, you know, I've written about this before, they make you confront yourself in a very particular way if you're willing to go there. Um, and it's one of their most powerful elements to really you know, see yourself and confront yourself and not just, you know, your thoughts and feelings, but your actions. Um, and yet that is what, and I think it's necessary for criticism for a critic to do that. But um, yeah, that's, you know, few and far between. And it's, uh, and it's, it, you know, it's really hard. It's just the thing, you know, I'm not sure what we can do about audiences sometimes in corporate stuff. I do think that we have a lot more um, potential control over, um, or not even control, maybe an opportunity to to face ourselves as gamers, and anybody yeah. can do that. No, I, I fully agree. And there is, like you mentioned, there, there's some people challenging uh, how we talk about games in those freelance realms, but a lot of those people, as you mentioned uh, well back in our conversation, are looking for the full-time work, so they're conforming to sure. what's out there, sure. which I understand to a certain extent, but you know, I, I'm always on the lookout for that kind of stuff. Um, sure. So, That's understandable. Uh, my dog is currently looking at me because she is so pumped about going to pee. So, uh, <laughs> just to kind of to, to wrap things up a bit, she didn't want uh, to hear any more about games criticism. She uh, she might be sick of hearing about games <laughs> criticism, which I think is just selfish of her. But uh, so, where is the uh, the best place for people to find you, and uh, what are you working on now? Uh, so the the best place is my website. It's tevisthompson.com. I mean, I'm on Twitter and um, as well, but you can link there. I'm not on Twitter a lot. So um, my website, I, I don't update a lot. I am slow, as I've said. Um, and I, I have a few things coming next year. I'm not, I guess, quite ready to talk about something maybe a little more regular than my usual slow going. <laughs> um, but in the meantime, I do have a, a podcast called Close Playing. Um, and it is, uh, each episode I talk with one other person about one game. So we spend the whole time kind of getting into what a game is about, what it's doing to us, comparing our experiences. Um, they're often quite different. Mm. Um, and it's, it's trying to be like an intimate conversation, uh, just about the, you know, the variety and complexity of, you know, our game experiences. Um, so yeah, there's, there's one coming up in a couple of weeks on Panoramical with Ryan Quo and, um, and then after that, I'm I'm talking to Jess Joho, who I mentioned earlier about Inside, um, Playdead's follow up to Limbo. So, and then there's a bunch I'm looking to do next year. So that's in the in the immediate term. But uh, beyond that, there'll be some 
some new writing next year. Well, uh, thank you for uh, talking about games criticism for like an hour and a half with me. <laughs> like that's a lot of what this podcast is. And it's, it's, no, I mean that in a positive way. It's uh, it's it's something I'm very much interested in always talking about and challenging and discussing and figuring things out and you know questioning questioning how I talk about games, how I think about games, and how other people think about games. So uh, I really appreciate it. Well, I really appreciate you asking me on. Thanks a lot. No problem at all. And thank you to everyone for listening. Hopefully tune back in for the next episode of the 1099.